Welcome to the Peace Catalyst podcast, where we share stories to inspire, uplift, and encourage you in your peacemaking journey. I'm Becca Pugh, a program director with Peace Catalyst here in the Washington, D.C. area, and I'm joined by my co-host, Keith Giles. Yep. Uh, Hi, I'm Keith Giles. Um, I am also working with Peace Catalyst International in El Paso, Texas, my wife, Wendy, and I to help bring Christians and Muslims together. And um, we are right now continuing our series in our podcast, Talking to Muslim Women of Peace. And this is a great series where we're talking to different Muslim women, peacemakers, who inspire us uh, to walk the path of peace in our everyday lives. And our hope is that by having these conversations, uh, it can help us as followers of Jesus to understand how we can change the world around us Uh, to become better peacemakers by working together. Today we're joined by Tasneem Noor, who is the Interfaith Minister-in-Residence for the Episcopal Diocese in Los Angeles and author of the book called The Faith Connection, which is all about identifying what faith means to us. Welcome, Tasneem. We're so excited and grateful to have you with us today. Hi, Becca. Hi, Keith. Pleasure to be with you all. Oh, it's, it's really wonderful to have you join us, Tasneem. Um, when we were first uh, looking at possibly having you on and looking at uh, some of your work and your book, it was uh, I was getting very, very excited to have a conversation with you. So thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. I'm excited that you're excited. So, Tasneem... I was wondering um, if you could give us a little bit more of your background. Um, you know, what first inspired you to build relationships with people of different beliefs and perspectives from your own? And, you know, how have some of your life experiences shaped you to want to build those relationships? Yeah, totally. Um You know, I wish I had a moment where I could be like, this is the moment where it happened, but call it a good thing or a good thing. (laughs) Um, This has actually been my, my life. Like I can't remember a time. So for me, differences, um, being around differences, different religions, different cultures, different languages, different countries, different um, you know, backgrounds is the norm. I grew up, uh, I was born in Pakistan, where my mom is from, and my dad is from India. So my early childhood years were in India. Uh, my middle school years were in Dubai. And then we moved to Pakistan for about three, four years when my family was in transition. Uh, my brother had fallen down and was getting some medical treatment, and we just didn't know what would happen next. And then came here to United States as a 15-year-old. So having lived in four different countries, um, you know, that exposure was always there. And I just became comfortable with being around differences. And particularly when I came here to United States, um, my family, my extended family, was um, very much active with interfaith work. Um, if you have, if you type in Islam.org, it takes you to islamicity.com, and that's pretty much my family. And so I, I went to churches and synagogues and, you know, got that exposure. 
And I think when I really committed to interfaith work was um, when I joined a fellowship for an organization called New Ground. It's a Muslim Jewish Partnership for Change in 2009, 2010. And um, that just going through that nine-month program made me realize how important my Muslim identity was and how few spaces I had to explore my faith, my religion, my spirituality, and just have a space where I could talk about it uh, to others. And so that's really what got me into doing this work more professionally, um, where I transitioned from my student affairs career working with students on leadership development and, um, you know, just social justice stuff to where and how can I create spaces for people to talk about what they have faith in and, uh, you know, and what, what nourishes us, honestly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, can you talk a little bit more about your, your early um, interactions with people of different faiths, because I, I know probably from my own experience, but also just other people that I've met, um, you know, when you are raised in a certain faith and you are raised Muslim, um, quite often a whole lot of what we're taught is sort of like, um, making sure that we know that we're the right ones and, and other faiths are not, uh, or something like that. And so there's usually sort of a, a built-in, um, mistrust of other religions or people who don't believe the way we do. So I'm wondering when you were younger, were there experiences that you had with people of other faith that helped you, um, you know, have a different perspective of people of other faiths? In other words, like, did you notice the ways that we were similar? Was there something, did you have some really great friendships or interactions with people who weren't Muslim and how did that help you, um, kind of like not go in that direction? Yeah, so growing up, you know, when I'll share two experiences, and I guess, and the pair just both happened to be in Dubai when I was United Arab Emir- in United Arab Emirates. Um, my parents could have chosen, like, there are a lot of schools there. Um, it's a very immigrant-based community and country, like there are more immigrants there than there are locals. Mm-hmm. And so they literally have schools for different cultural groups. So there are uh, schools for Indians and Pakistanis and there's schools for Americans and schools, you know, like, so they're all kind of divvied up like that. And yeah. my parents were very much like, you know, we want our child to have exposure to different uh people, cultures, all of that. And so I went to an international mixed school and I had Christians and Hindus. I didn't meet any Jews growing up until I came here. Uh, But Christians, um, Hindus, Muslims, uh, Buddhists, um, different types of Hindus, all of that was the norm for me. I remember growing up celebrating Diwali, the light of festivals, um, I didn't hear too much about Christmas trees and, you know, the Christmas traditions as much growing up because there were still more Hindus and Muslims in those countries than there were Christians. But I was exposed to it. And 
um, there was no sense of this Islam or Muslims are the right way. Um, I remember more specifically, you know, I was um, in sixth grade and I was sitting in class and we were in between breaks and there was some of my classmates were talking and from my memory, it was like all of a sudden they turned around and they said, are you Shia or are you Sunni? And I'm like, huh? They say, are you Shia or are you Sunni? And I literally had zero idea what they were talking about. Wow. Um, and um, so I went home and I was like, mom, what am I? Am I Shia or am I Sunni? <laughs> and mama, you know, she was like, it's okay. Nothing to worry about. Here's a little brief history. The, there are different uh, sects of the Muslim uh religion um you know shias believe in this sunnis believe in this technically we're from the sunni tradition but what really matters is that you're muslim mm -hmm. and um growing up what that really meant even more so than what means you're muslim is not so much that islam or muslim is the right way but believing in god having making god your best friend that's how mom introduced Islam to me or my spirituality to me. So for me, being Muslim was always about my faith in God. Of course, there are the five pillars of faith. There are prayers, there are specific, um, there's a Quran, there's Prophet Muhammad. And I know all that and all of it, but there was never this sense of this is the only way or, you know, don't listen or don't interact with people who are not Muslim or there was never any of that in my upbringing. That's, no, that's beautiful. So really your parents had a lot to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. My parents, my grandfather, um, I'll mention him by name just because he actually passed away last week. So I feel like uh, invoking his memory. His name was Jamal Khwaja. And uh, he was very active with building interfaith relationships between Hindus and Muslims. And, you know, particularly during the time of the partition in India, Pakistan, um, that was a big deal and continues to be a big deal today. So my family has that legacy as well, um, where there just has been a lot of exposure. And my parents growing up, they traveled a lot as well. Like my mom had been to America multiple times uh, before we moved here. She had lived in London. My dad had lived in England. I mean, sorry, in Germany. So there was always a lot of exposure. And, you know, what What we're really doing here at Peace Catalyst is, uh, and especially here on this podcast, uh, is talking to people specifically about the importance of peacemaking and peacemaking between people of different faiths, um, as well as working and partnering with people across uh, faiths um, to do work together. And so I know this is something that you're also very passionate about. And so can you talk a little bit about um, why you feel that that's so important to, to uh, work towards peacemaking and what kind of things have you been doing uh, to do peacemaking uh, in that way? Totally. Um, kind of random, but silly question. Have you guys seen uh, Miss Congeniality, the movie? Love them. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> <It's a> classic. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> it is a funny, cute movie. And there is this piece about, you know, world peace and how all the contestants in the movie are like, world peace. And by the end of it, Sandra Bullock is also like, yeah, world peace. <laughs> <laughs> like there's something so simple about it and yet and so attractive right like who wouldn't want world peace or be peace builders um and yet there's this this i don't know like a jadedness or a um a question of is it possible is it good enough is it enough you know shouldn't we be like striving for something more tangible or visible or measurable and so I don't know so I've definitely um, asked those questions of myself and um, at the risk of being cliche I'll say I I am a big advocate for (laughs) for world peace Uh Um, I'm holding space for it and um, I I you know applaud you all for doing your part in, in creating that world peace. And um, I think for me, building community, having a safe space for people to be themselves, to get to know one another has always been my way of uh, like not only creating bridges, but also being a bridge and helping others become bridges um, by just being themselves and being willing to you know, listen with curiosity, without judgment, um, to, to explore without, you know, shaming or blaming. Um, and more recently, this work has really translated this year, actually, I'll be, um, I, I'll take a moment because it actually feels really powerful. Um, this year has been a crazy year for so many people, for everybody, I would imagine, yeah. uh, in so many different ways. And one of the things that made it crazy was just this rise of um, talk around racial injustice with the murder of George Floyd. And when I witnessed that, like I had an idea, I knew I had a sense, I, you know, I've done the work, I've led trainings and whatnot around um, racial injustices and systemic and racism and all of that, but I didn't really feel any of it. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. This year I felt it, you know, and when I felt it, I was like, what's mine to do? And I realized that I was in a really blessed and interesting space because I was the bridge, you know, like on one end of the bridge, um, I was hearing my friends and others say things like, how can this be happening? I didn't know. What can I do? This is terrible, you know, and just wanting to learn more, grow more, engage more. And on the other side, I had my black friends and others, um, you know, say, what are you guys talking about? We have been telling you for years and you haven't been listening and now we're exhausted and, you know, and so there was this real work that needed to be done and it can't happen without both ends of both of these groups coming together in some way. And I realized that I was in the middle 
Like, I didn't have that white experience growing up. I'm not white. I don't have the black experience. I'm not black. I'm a person of color who has, who genuinely cares um, and has heard both the, and witnessed both struggles and pains of people on either sides of the bridge and I realized that this is my work to do is to really create spaces for those courageous conversations um, that need to happen not just between people who are on opposite ends of you but people who are closer to you on your side of the bridge You know, I think so often people jump to like, oh, if I'm white, I need to talk to a black person. But there are people in your vicinity that you can be talking to and move the needle. You know, um, there are people in your vicinity that you need to be doing the work to just understand and explore. And together, you know, we can we can move more powerfully across this bridge and, and meet each other somewhere in the middle uh, versus look hoping that someone on the other end will throw the rope and, you know, something, I don't know, something like that will happen. And it hasn't happened. Um, and it's not likely to happen without people like you and me who are willing to you know, who are in the middle and who have the capacity um, and the compassion to to really do this work of building peace and building bridges. I think uh, I love your response to about starting off with sort of the um, beauty pageant contestant answer to every question is world peace. And, uh, and I think that's a good point because I think many times the average person um, – you know, of course, like you said, everybody wants world peace, but the difference is not everybody goes beyond that. Not everyone takes the next step. Um, I mean, for example, in the in the Christian tradition, um, most Christians understand, oh, you know, there's a verse that says that, you know, blessed are the peacemakers that Jesus says, or that, you know, uh, the Apostle Paul says uh, that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation and we, you know, or, or even that we are ambassadors uh, of Christ uh, in that way to bring reconciliation. And so, you know, a lot of Christians know those verses and we nod our heads. We can even answer those questions if someone asks us, you know, what's the right answer to the question. Um, but not everyone takes it seriously enough to actually say, well, what am I really doing to be an ambassador of peace? What am I doing to, uh, on a regular basis to actually bring reconciliation um, in this way? And so, I think for a lot of people, um, it seems like a really big kind of scary idea, like, okay, world peace, or let's the same as put in the same category as ending world hunger. Of mm-hmm. course, everybody wants to do it, but <laughs> almost immediately it feels like, but what can I do? Um, and so, I mean, are there, and you've, you've touched on that a little bit already in your answer, and I, I appreciate that, but I think a lot of people just really sometimes struggle with what are the real simple practical things that I can be doing? to be a peacemaker, to be someone who brings reconciliation. Um, I mean, can you talk a little more specifically about like, what are the things that you think, can we just simplify it? What are the simple things that we can do on a daily basis? Totally. Uh, Thank you for that. I would, you know, I would take a step back um, 
and say before I say what are the simple things we can do that what you said about what people can quote from the Bible and what it says in the Bible, there is such wisdom in the Bible. There's such wisdom in the Quran. And just like you mentioned about the Christians, Muslims can do that too. <laughs> you know, we can quote the Quran all day long, which has um, such wisdom and uh, messages of peace and, um, and uh, yeah, all of that. And, and, and I take a step back to say it's one thing, again, to read it or to know it mm-hmm. or to say I believe it and another to feel it. Yeah. And that is, to me, where faith, again, comes in, you know, and that's how faith is is deeper, more personal, more intimate, more powerful, more grounding to me, because I guess I'll just use the verse um, of we created you into different nations and tribes so that you you may get to know one another. Mm. If I just read that, it's like, oh, nice. Okay, we're different. If I believe in that, okay, cool, we're different. See, we should get to know one another and, and tolerate one another and, you know, all that good stuff. But if I feel that, then I have a whole different level of agency and a sense of responsibility um, to, and this, this drive, this motivation to do something with it, mm-hmm. you know? So I don't know about you, but um, I want more and more people in my, in my community, in my Muslim community, in my world community, to be honest, to really be, more anchored in their faith in this way where whatever it is that you have faith in whatever that belief or that idea is you know like to really feel it and to use it as a as an anchor um to do the work that you do so it comes for you you own that energy um, and practically speaking how do you do that you really ask the question so what so what if we are created into different nations and tribes so that you may get to know one another? Oh, that means that diversity differences are intentional. So what if the diversity and differences are intentional and we get to know one another? Oh, there is something to discover and learn from the differences then. Oh, so what if we learn something that are different um, you know, about around differences. Oh, I don't need to be afraid of differences. Right. You know, and you just kind of keep going down that way. And so this is a practical tool that I use um, to kind of get more anchored into what it is that truly nourishes me or truly guides me and is important to me so I can feel that faith even more. Um, so that was on that end. On <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the courageous conversations end, I would say the, you know, asking questions is a great tool. And asking questions with intentionality is an even more powerful tool. Um, and so what does that look like? Um you know, so often we jump into a conversation, um, but we don't name or identify what our intention is. Is my intention to understand? Is my intention 
to explore something? Is my intention to understand you? Is my intention to um, be heard? Is my intention to uh, process something that is weighing on my heart? Is my intention to, you know, come to a conclusion of what is right or wrong or good or bad or, you know, like what is my intention? And so when you name your intention, it, it works again as that gutter or that anchor to kind of make your conversation more powerful. So then whatever comes after that intention, now the other person is not sitting there and wondering like, oh, why is he telling me about this mm-hmm. verse in the Bible? You know, does he want to convert me or does he want to like relate to me or, you know, and, but if you say it, then it's like, ah, all right, cool. I'm with you. Um, or I'm not with you and this is my intention or, you know, so I think naming your intention is a powerful practical tool when it comes to, um, building peace or initiating conversations. And I'll say one more, um, and that is acknowledgement. I think so often, like my dad does this, (laughs) You know, he's very well read. He's very passionate. He's very um, opinionated. And often he'll be saying something and I'll say something and he'll just, you know, there's no like he'll just start up again. And I'll be like, Dad, you're not listening. And he's like, I know what you're going to say. I already know. So then he just continues. And I'm like, no, that's not the point. Even if you do know, first of all, don't assume. Right. <laughs> even if you do know, like, it's important for me to say it, you know. And so that acknowledgement of I heard you, um, I see you. You know, you matter. That is so important because my dad usually is, you know, is on point. So he's usually he does know what I'm going to say or whatnot. But it's not the point, you know. (laughs) So um, that acknowledgement is so important and taking it to a larger social or, you know, context I feel, I really believe that's what's missing from the race conversations right now and other conversations that need to be happening is just the acknowledgement. Mm. Like, we can't move forward without saying, I see your pain. I hear your pain. Let's work together. If you just say, okay, let's work together, then it feels dismissive, you know? Mm. Um so, yeah, so acknowledgement is another practical tool, I would say, <laughs> for courageous conversations. Yeah. Yeah, that's so good. I think these are practical lessons, you know, for, for all of us. And I especially liked what you were saying about stating your intention, because I think oftentimes we go into conversations um, you know, not fully knowing what we want to get out of it and perhaps, you know, can stumble with our words or, or even come across as being intrusive or, um, like you said, like coming across, um, as if we're trying to, to get somebody to, 
to believe what we believe or think how we think. And potentially we really just want to learn what the other person thinks. So I love, I love that concept. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I also am really um, inspired. I'm just inspired by you in general <laughs> and how you live your life and, and practice your faith. And um, I know for me, this, you know, we talked about peacemaking within the Christian faith as well. And it's something that, you know, we're all trying to grow in as individuals and bring along, you know, our friends and loved ones and family members to come along that, that peacemaking journey with us. And um, so I'm just curious, Tasneem, how, how do you bring along others in your community um, to build peace or to foster mutual respect with people who are different? Um, what does that look like for you? Yeah, I think um, in addition to being intentional, being curious, acknowledgement, all of those things that we have spoken about, I would add um, two things. One is sincerity. Um, I think for me, the biggest value is authenticity. Um, or sincerity, whichever one you want to say. And, you know, I can, I can, I can talk to anyone and I have talked to many different people. You know, uh, there was this interesting, I was at a um, festival of books. We have it in LA uh, for, I don't know how many years it's been happening. So I, I was at it last year and I was actually manning the booth for one of the other interfaith organizations I work for or with. And um, in one day, I had a conversation with uh, someone I didn't, I didn't know, but I think how you would term as an evangelical Christian who had that sense of there is only we know which is the right way, <laughs> you know, and so everything else is... Um, is irrelevant because we know what that one right way is. And then the same day, a few hours apart, I had a conversation with an atheist. And I remember driving back home and thinking like, this is so cool. (laughs) I feel like I got two ends of the spectrum and a whole bunch of other experiences in the middle all in one day. And how rewarding is it uh, for me? Because one of the questions that that gentleman asked me was, doesn't it get confusing? Doesn't it get chaotic? Like why learn about other religions when you know, quote unquote, what is the right way? Mm -hmm. Um, And I was like, it is so powerful for me to learn about what other people believe and practice and what grounds them and all of it, and it strengthens my faith. Um, and and I remember driving back home with that feeling of, you know, being totally anchored and at peace. And the only things that were going through my head were different questions I could have asked, and I didn't get to ask. So all I wanted was to engage even more, both with the atheist and with the other gentleman. Um, and I was like, oh, I hope I get those opportunities more. So, um, that's beautiful. Yeah. yeah. 
I, I, I don't think I answered your question in that. But <laughs> that's what came up for me. So I just shared it. <laughs> no, that's great. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I love it. I was just, I know it seems like we're, we're all in kind of similar positions of trying to bring along our fellow faith community members. And so I was yeah. just curious. Yeah. I think, so I'll, I'll, I'll wrap that up with a sense of the sincerity. You know, I think that's what it was for me. I wouldn't want you to be inauthentic with me. Uh, to water down on your beliefs, on your perspectives, or, you know, on your values, because mm-hmm. you want to be nice to me. I believe that there is a way to be nice to one another, uh, while still respecting one another, um, even when we disagree with each other, you know, um, or even contradict one another. I do a lot of work with Muslims and Jews, And of course, Israel and Palestine is a big conversation that shows up. And it is so fascinating for me year and year after, um, you know, that when when we wrap up the retreat, the Israel-Palestine retreat, people leave with with this greater sense of just being acknowledged and they do leave a little bit more confused <laughs> to realize that there is no one right truth or fact or, you know, and there is so much more nuances. And so they become more aware of those nuances and they become more intrigued with like, okay, I have to learn more and I have to be more sensitive and I have to, you know, so, so, but we never ever expect anybody, whether you have a strong connection to Israel or to Palestine, or you have a weak connection, never water it down or pretend or be insincere you know and when you are willing to be sincere and willing to offer the same respect and space to the other person to be sincere that is a courageous space that is a transformational experience that is a powerful way of being because that is truly humanizing, you know, and I feel like one of the biggest um, um, dangers or, yeah, dangers to peace building is the degree of dehumanization that's in our society today. Um, You know, the sense of if you don't agree with me, then you're not worth, like, then you're selfish, right? Um, you're, you're this, you're that. And, and then all you become is that one title. We just came out of elections, right? And the results are what the results are. Some people are still questioning the validity of those results. Um, but what I find fascinating is that 70 million plus people, 74 million, I think is the number I heard last who voted for Trump, Uh And 80 or 80 plus million people who voted for Biden. And if you hear the rhetoric, you know, and just even in, let's be honest, in our families, in our circles, how do people talk about elections or about people who vote, people who voted for the other 
party. Right. You know, it's it's all like, oh, those Trump supporters are mm-hmm. X, our Y, are you know, oh, those Biden supporters are X and their Y. And and I'm like, how can any X or any Y capture 80 million people or wow. 74 million people? There is so much more to who Trump supporters are or Biden supporters are or Democrats are or Republicans are or, you know, mm-hmm. that then one label or one idea or one stand or one vote can capture. And I think when we when we fall for that trap of letting that one label define the whole group or the whole person, that is dehumanizing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it is dangerous. Yeah, absolutely. I do. I totally agree with you, Tasneem. I think yeah. this is the, it is the dangerous thing. Um, this, it's basically a tribalism. Um, and it, it happens across, you know, many, many lines of division, right? Where, yeah. where you, where Christians will say, oh, all Muslims are this way, which mm-hmm. is obviously false. <laughs> because not all Muslims are anyway, or, yeah. uh, or, you know, you could say all homeless people are, are a certain way. Well, that isn't true. Uh, you know, we, when you generalize an mm-hmm. entire group of people and say, everyone who is not like me, that's essentially what you're saying. Everyone who isn't, who doesn't think the way I do, everyone who doesn't believe what I believe, everyone who doesn't vote the way I vote, everyone who doesn't live the way I live, or mm-hmm. et cetera. Those people are, you know, and you generalize and it's always something negative. Uh, that's very dangerous. And I think that that's certainly something we have to learn to get away from. And I, I hope that one of the ways that we can do that is kind of by what we're doing right now is yeah. taking the time to listen to people who don't agree with us, to listen to, take time to listen to people um, who don't agree with us on all these things. Because by doing so, even by simply doing that thing, yeah. what we're admitting is that well, like you're saying, we're humanizing them. We're giving them their voice. We're letting them say what they need to say. We're listening to really listen. And we're also, if we're doing this properly, we're admitting the possibility that mm-hmm. we could be wrong about something, that maybe we need to learn. There's something we could learn from the other person. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that really is such a key, simple, basic thing to peace building. Uh, yeah. And that's that really is lost. We really have to get back to that. Yes, 200%. And I'll just say that part of it is because of fear, right? There's, mm-hmm. if, I, if I even admit to myself that there is a possibility that you are right, mm-hmm. then that means I'm wrong. Yes. And if I'm wrong, then that can change up my life. That can, you know, like, what does that even mean? And I think we just live in that fear of, being wrong or being not sorry that's not right right english being wronged <laughs> yeah. I think that's fine english i don't know if it's proper or not but you know like so there's that fear and then of course there's just a misinformation and the only way we can really get through assumptions you know is to really say hey is to how do i really know this if i think all muslims are this then what is my source of information for that? Is it a, a Muslim who has told me that? Is it a media source who has told me that? Is it, mm-hmm. you know, a person who has told me that? 
And it's so important. Like I remember I went to Nashville a few years ago and I, um, I was there for a business conference, not an interfaith thingy, but I could tell, you know, there were folks in the room who were locals and they were just saying things. And I was like, okay, there might be some Islamophobia over here. <laughs> and um, all cordial relationships, wonderful, wonderful people. But I felt called to uh, reach out to this one particular um, woman, lady, her name was Mary. And, um, it felt a little, um, you know, a little, not just awkward, but risky and nerve wracking and intimidating to reach out to her. Um, cause I was like, what am I going to say? She'll probably have all these things, you know, that I've heard in the media that are Islamophobic and I don't have a response to it. I don't have this research, like I'm Muslim, but you know, like there were all these things going through my head. And then I just took a deep breath and I was like, this thing, what's your intention? Mm-hmm. And my intention was not to convince her that she was wrong about all Muslims. It wasn't to educate her. It wasn't to, you know, con- it was definitely not to convert her. My intention was that I just want her to get to know me as a Muslim. So she has a perspective yes. and I don't have to have all the answers to talk to her. And so once I anchored myself into that intention, I approached her and I was like, hey, I still have a few hours before I head back to L.A. Would you be willing to hang out, Um, you know, have lunch or something? And she said, yeah, of course. And, you know, not only did she take me out to lunch, she took me around this beautiful lake, dropped me at the airport. So an amazing, amazing woman, uh, very kind, very generous. And in in our walk around the lake and our drive, you know, we had those conversations. And the thing that struck me the most was the things she was sharing about Muslims that she had heard from, quote unquote, uh, Muslim scholars who are, you know, um, who who had spoken on this conservative radio that she listens to. She said that's primarily where she got her news from. Um I had never heard of those things. Hmm. Yeah. I had, you know, like her sources of information were completely different than my sources of information. Yeah. And that was so fascinating to me. So there's this this wonderful, kind-hearted, you know, beautiful woman who thinks uh, that all Muslims are dangerous. Right. <laughs> And here I am, a Muslim, and she's finding out I'm not dangerous, you know, uh, and she can actually drop me to the airport of all places yeah. <laughs> and still be safe. So it was just such a, such a, like, yeah. And I think this more so than ever before is a 21st century problem where the exposure to information creates so much distrust because there are just so many different sources and some are good and some are bad, but who's to say which source is legit and which is not. Right. And really there's no substitute for the face-to-face one-on-one conversation um, that isn't going through some sort of a filter uh, news or bias or something where I think what you just did uh, having one conversation with one person, um, listening uh, to that other person, letting just even your 
presence and the way you conversed with this person, you get to be, uh, if nothing else, you get to be the, the one thing that sort of contradicts everything she's heard. And she, how do you deny this, right? How can she deny that you, you're not dangerous and you are kind of in many ways, uh, you have a whole lot in common with one another. I think that it's sort of the one person at a time, face-to-face conversation that I think is really powerful uh, if we can if we can get there. Yeah, I have to admit though that um, I still I like two thousand percent agree with what you're saying, Keith. And I think that is the magical way, that powerful way. And I have to admit that you know sometimes I'm like one person at a time. Have you looked at how many people are on this earth? <laughs> <laughs> and it feels um it feels um like an impossible task i I suppose like world peace or ending world hunger and yet you know i think just acknowledging that and sitting with whatever stuff that comes up is important but when i take a deep breath again and get anchored in my faith and what matters and what works and what i've seen work so well that's essentially it that really is it yeah thank you so much this conversation has been incredible and we're all going to learn a lot I think from your stories and um, your practice of peacemaking so thank you and for our listeners who want to check out your book and learn more about um, your work where would be the best place for them to do that the faith connect dot com is my website and on facebook also it's the faith connector so the faith connector is it and um yeah and the book is available on amazon so if you feel called please uh join in and get connected i'd love to hear from you you can also email me to tasneem at the faith connector.com so i welcome and thank you becca and keith for creating these spaces uh, for having this conversation with me, but for also having these conversations with other peace builders. Um, you know, we're all in this together and, and I'm so grateful for the platform you have you have created for us. Absolutely, Tasneem. It's been an honor and a blessing to spend this time with you and uh, to share. Uh, I, so it's, it's just wonderful. I, I really love what you're doing. Yeah, excited to just let people, more people know about your book and and what you're doing. So thank you so much. Wow, that was a great conversation. Thank you so much, Tasneem, for coming and sharing your story with us. You know, I think um, one of the things I thought that was really cool was when she was talking about uh, the importance of how important it is to clearly state our intentions when we're in conversations with people. Yep. Yep. I, I thought that was so, so cool because it's true. We might find ourselves in a conversation with someone who is completely different from us. And, um, you know, we might, I personally, you know, might just have a desire to connect with that person or learn more. Um, but sometimes just telling them what our intention is can really create, can really open the door for that conversation to happen and, and to be a more authentic space. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think the, um, it is, it makes so much sense when the way she was describing it too, like, you know, like if you're in a conversation, if a Christian and a Muslim are in a conversation together and 
uh, like the Christian starts to share a Bible verse, like she said, you know, it's very helpful up front to explain why <laughs> you're, you're, yeah. you're sharing this verse because yeah. the, the other person doesn't know, well, are you trying to correct me? Are you trying to right. convert me? Um, right. or, but, or, or maybe you're just sharing something that really blesses you or inspires you. And maybe you're trying to draw a connection between your faith and my faith. Like, but it would be yeah. good to know that up front <laughs> before, <laughs> right. Before you just jump into that. And I think that is such a, an important thing, an important, um, practice to develop in our skill set of peacemaking. Um, just to be very clear up front. Um, about what are we doing and why are we doing it in, in the conversation, right? So she says, um, you know, she says, naming your intention um, in your yeah. conversation is very, very powerful. So the other person understands your intention. I totally agree. And I think that's something I'd like to w- work on a lot more in my own uh, practice. Yeah, me too. I, I think about even conversations with my Muslim friends when I'm just asking them questions about, their faith and just saying, you know, I'm just, I'm curious. I'm really curious. I really want to learn more about your faith. Um, Cause I think sometimes qu- questions like that can come across as, you know, are you trying to prove me wrong or, you know, are you trying to um, yeah, like have an argument about who's right or what's right. So I think, yeah, that's something I'd like to grow in as well. Yeah. Cause I think unfortunately too, um, I mean, probably once you get to know, once you've really established a really good relationship with um, someone, you know, of a different faith, mm-hmm. uh, you really have a trust developed and a friendship developed, you you might not need to do that so much. But yeah. certainly I think in the beginning stages, it's really important so that they really know um, that you don't have an agenda. There's not like some kind of a um, sort of a memorized script that you're working off of that, well, if you ask them this and then ask them that and then point them to this and then you know, like it's some sort of a trap you're setting for them. Um, right. Cause unfortunately that kind of thing does happen. And uh, I've, I've seen people who have done that kind of a thing. Um, you know, people, I mean, well, here's the other thing she talked about and I, I totally agree as well. And I think this goes exactly with what she's, why she's saying it's important to, to be very uh, intentional and upfront about your intentions. Um, you know, she talked about how one of the biggest value that that's the most important values that a person can have as a peacemaker is sincerity and mm-hmm. authenticity. And, and I think that's so true. People, you need to really establish um, that, that both parties are very sincere and very authentic and mm-hmm. that there is no hidden agenda there that you're not trying, right. you're not secretly trying to manipulate or steer the conversation or something like that. And so, yeah, I, I agree. I think that's also something really important. Yeah. And I loved what she was saying too, about not watering down what you think or what you believe for the sake of being nice. Mm -hmm. Because yeah, she made such a great point that true peacemaking is about coming to the space and feeling courageous um, in, in who you are and, and being willing to share what you really think and what you really believe. And that creates space for courageous conversations that can lead to um, to those real relationships. And, um, so I really appreciated that too. Oh yeah. No, I absolutely do. Yeah. Cause that's, you know, sometimes I think that's maybe the other mistake that, that we make. Um, like sometimes in our desire to, um, to be peacemakers and, um, 
especially again early on to establish these connections with people of other faiths, um, we can tend to go the like the pendulum swings the opposite direction. So of course right. there's the danger of uh, starting off with the, the pendulum on too far on one side of saying I'm right and you, these are all the ways you're wrong. And we don't want to do that, right. but we also don't want to just lay lay down completely that we have a faith and that right. you know, there, there are reasons for the faith that we have. Um, so oh, yeah. yeah, I think that's really important, and I think it's beautiful um, that Tasneem is willing to give space for that. Right, that she's gracious enough to say. No, listen, I'm, I'm not wanting you to pretend that you don't have uh, different views. Uh, right. I don't, but, uh, well, and actually, you know what? With something that she said, uh, I wouldn't want you to be inauthentic with me or water down your views or values because you want to be nice to me. Uh, mm-hmm. She said, I believe there's a way to be nice while still respecting one another, even when we disagree and contradict one another. And see, that's something, yeah. that's a lost art, even within uh, Christianity. I mean, I, I've, I've had conversations with friends of mine who are Christians and we might have a differing view on a scripture or a, or a, you know, a doctrine or something. And even then it's difficult to say, look, uh, we disagree, but I still love you and respect you. Um, right. and you know, and, and, and at the end of the day, it's okay if we don't end up agreeing or convincing the other person who's right or wrong, we still maintain that connection and that friendship, uh, uh, the respect for one another as well. So I think that's also a very important skill that we could learn to develop is that if we can have relationships, really true, strong, loving, respectful relationships with one another, regardless of our faith even, um, mm-hmm. and still disagree. Like agreement is not necessary um, Like to love one another. Like I can love people. And here's the thing, I do. <laughs> I love a lot of people. Uh, I have family members that I, I dearly love, and we don't agree on lots of things, but um, but I still yeah. love them and respect them. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, I think a lot of us have family and, and close people that we that we love who believe differently or think differently from us. And I I loved what Tasneem was saying about, you know, kind of that danger of of if we start to treat people based on um, whether or not we agree, that can be really dangerous um, for peace building and, and leads to this kind of dehumanizing of, of other people. Um, whereas if you're willing to, she said, if you're willing to be sincere and leave room for other people to be sincere too, then that's that's kind of the transform, transformative experience and, and that's what's very humanizing. Right. Oh, I totally agree. Yeah. I think if there's probably one thing that, because I mean, yeah, the, this dehumanization is really what leads us to conflict, right? When right. we, when, and it does begin with, you know, like she gives, gives the example of, you know, uh, recent election and how it's like, well, it's so easy to say um, everybody that voted for this candidate is this way or, and everybody that voted for the other, other candidate is that way. And we have these broad sweeping generalizations where we categorize people and label people. And, and it's, it doesn't matter which side you're on to, but if you're doing that, that's not right. Like that isn't the truth. It just isn't the truth. Um, You know, not everyone who, who believes this or, or votes this way or that way. We're not all the same, right? There's so much, like she even said that, right? There's so much more, um, to people than just 
how they voted or, or, or anything, right. Or even what they believe. And so, yeah, I think, uh, that is the danger because when you de once you dehumanize someone, you kind of give yourself permission to believe all kinds of evil, horrible things about them that are not true. And then that can lead you to hate them. That can lead you to uh, not just say things and believe things about them, but to justify violence and things like that. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think, I think it's very important to, first of all, recognize that, that dehumanizing is a danger. But then, as she was saying, look for ways to rehumanize yes. those other people, right? That's an intentional thing is to yeah. go beyond those stereotypes and to go beyond those uh, sort of ref reflexive ways of reacting to the mm -hmm. person you don't agree with and to say, okay, I don't agree with them on that. I don't understand why they believe this or that, but can I look for the things we have in common again? You know, what are the things that the, the humanity that we share with one another? And if we can really focus on that, now we're on the, the right path. I love that word rehumanizing because I think we probably all, I know I'm guilty of this, um, can dehumanize others to a degree when we, when we, when I know that they don't believe the same thing as me or think the same thing as me, it can be easy to just even by default think less of that person. So I think I like this idea of rehumanizing because it's a very proactive thing where, um, you know, you have to kind of be intentional about how am I thinking of this other person? How am I thinking of these groups of people? And can I recognize their humanity um, and affirm that humanity in the midst of it? Right. And then I think, it, you know, it should be something too. It shouldn't be, I mean, I understand what we're talking about can be really challenging and I'm, I'm not trying to downplay it. I, I know it is difficult because I, I, I've struggled with it too. But on right. one level, it really shouldn't be that hard for us as followers of Jesus, because, you know, if we do no. believe that for God so loved the world, um, then that means if God loves them, then I should too, right? If, if, right? if God loves that person, first of all, I guess we have to, that's part of that rehumanization process is stopping to realize, okay, wait a second. This mm -hmm. person is a child of God. They're made in the image of God. They're dearly loved of God. Right. Um, God loves them way more than I could possibly imagine. And so maybe I need to learn how to love them the way he does. And, uh, and maybe that takes, you know, taking a step back and even saying a prayer and saying, okay, God, uh, help me change my heart. Help me to, help me to see them through your eyes. Help me to see them the way you see them and to love them the way you love them. Um, yeah. uh, that, that's something, you know, and then, then it becomes kind of a spiritual discipline for us. Totally. I love that. That's so good. Well, yeah, this has been really great. I'm really loving this series. Um, I know, just so you guys know, we have some really great conversations coming up uh, in upcoming podcast episodes in this series. Uh, many more amazing uh, Muslim women peacemakers that we're going to talk to and some really beautiful stories we're going to hear and things we're going to get to learn from them uh, and incorporate into our own peacemaking process. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and Spotify. For more info about Peace Catalyst and to help support our peacebuilding work, please visit our website at peacecatalyst.org.